How to guarantee against repossession by the natural world. First, isolate the object in a microclimate that replaces oxygen with unbreathable air like the helium the Declaration of Independence is suspended in at the National Archives such that its inside voice is of a child who just huffed the last balloon she brought home from a party where the eldest brother of the birthday boy pinned her down and spit and sucked a slobber back, then wait for insects to drop from the object dead. Be careful to be thorough. Carcasses provide nutrition for newcomers whole tunnel through the wood for years, eating hidden networks of dust-filled trenches into any wooden object. It will seem intact, but is as nearly hollow as so much poetry. But then, this touches me. The process of restoration is to feed a strip of paper through the channel. Thus, insect damage is filled in with the product of the inspiration of insect craft, the mafioso whiff of which, such that when a force protecting you is the same you need protection from, that fundamental essence of religion, law, and politics moves me so much I would like to handwrite a cursor blessing along the paper that's fed into that void, just a simple line, like dialogue ribboning out of the mouth of a saint in the margin of a book of hours to mail into the narrow pass, blasted by the course of life that runs inside all things. But what to write? That was Robin Schiff reading from her stunning new book, Information Desk, an Epic. I'm Elizabeth Scanlon, and this is the American Poetry Review Podcast. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Hi. <laughs> I'm happy to be back in the studio with you guys. Here we are at September. It feels like, I remember last time we were here and we were like, it's so hot. I know, right? And like now... It- what a brisk day. It's actually shifting. Yeah. Actually becoming the beautiful fall that is my favorite. No. Um, <laughs> I like summer, so. I know. I know you're a me. summer girl. I'm, a, I'm summer a fall girl. girl. And Stephen, of course, is back in the classroom because the yeah. semester has begun. And I just want to be clear. I hate all seasons. <laughs> There's no good ones. <laughs> I don't know. You strike me as kind of a winter guy. Yeah. You, like, you know, scarves and... I hate being cold. That's the oh, only problem. That's true. I really... You know, when I was a kid, I was like, I, I don't want to own a jacket. I don't mm. want to wear a jacket. But you have such good outfits now, though, Stephen. You have so <laughs> much layered <laughs> denim. I mean, layered honestly. Denim. I feel yeah. like the two are related. This is uh, <laughs> this is living out your, your trauma in a dream. Uh, no, but really, actually, it was very interesting. One time I was... Uh, well, it's interesting to me. So it must be interesting. Okay. I uh, was tarring the foundation of a house uh, in, in that a January. That took a turn I wasn't yeah. expecting. <laughs> we went from outfits to tarring a house. Okay. And I got so cold. And I was I was like, I was like, I, I was really worried that I would never warm up again. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. I'm still worried that I'll never warm up again from that moment. Yeah, I have had one moment like that. We were like out in New Hampshire Oh, yeah. Like in New England cold is in a different, different February, kind of cold. and they were like, "Let's just go on a walk," and <sighs> it was like horrible. Uh, you fell through the snow every other step, so then you were like, all wet, 
the snow and it, and at one point I was like I don't have the energy to get back out I'm just gonna like lay here and this is it for me yeah, <laughs> like the wetness of winter is the I worst I mean honestly this is why I'm team fall <laughs> all right it's That's why I'm team summer <laughs> it's the furthest away from winter that you can get <laughs> fair enough anyway anyway uh, it is September like it or not um and we do have it's a still beautiful summer, technically I mean technically yes for another few days not until well, you know what's the great equinox. about the fall is how many books come out a hundred percent yeah it's a transition Folks. There you go. <laughs> I know we are and there. a new issue of the American Poetry and Review. A gorgeous new issue, but it's true there are a deluge of excellent books coming out uh, in September and October, and we are going to talk about some of them today. Um, but uh, but yes, to just to jump right in, our new issue has Paisley Rechtal on the cover, um, and new poems from Dorothea Lasky and Courtney Lamar Charleston and Matt Donovan and Jane Huffman. Um, you know, we are always very excited about every new issue, and this is no exception. But our, our big theme today, our topic that we had talked about talking about, is ekphrasis. Or more specifically, Robin Schiff's new book, Information Desk and Epic. Hannah, tell me about... Um, uh, so you went and saw Robin Schiff read I did. last week. I'm so sorry I couldn't be there. Oh, I had like an absolute train wreck of scheduling difficulties but you got to hear some of these poems yeah um yes I did uh she read the first well so the way the book is is made up it's like ostensibly an epic poem but it's divided up by these three sort of um invocations to different kinds of wasps right I feel like I I should have said I'm getting ahead of myself here. We should talk about like the structure of the book, right? That this book is taking as its subject um, a time in her life when she was working at the information desk of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. In um, New York City. That's right. There you go. Um, is that part of the live event? <laughs> no, that's just me on cold medicine right now. That's right. <laughs> that's that's right. Um, you're a trooper. No. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but then, yes, but then interspersed, um, with this sort of book length poem about, uh, or taking as its occasion, uh, the information desk, uh, there are these, as you were saying, invocations to different wasps. Wasps, yeah. The insect, not the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. (laughs) Yeah, the insect. Um, and she didn't like preface her reading with much, but she did say that she, the wasps are sort of muses for mm-hmm. her in this project, and she's invoking their sort of feminist power <laughs> to, to make it through the, That's interesting. the writing of the book. Did she say why she conceives of them as feminist? Um, I think she thinks it's obvious. Oh. <laughs> I don't okay. Know. No, I don't know. But I think... Um, I mean, this first wasp we get does sort of a high, it hijacks a cockroach. Right. We get all of this, um, like, sexual imagery and language right. that is gendered. Oh, um, no, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I get it. I'm down for, yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. for the, the idea of these, like, insects as feminist iconography. I was just wondering if she had, you know, a comment on it. No. Specifically. <laughs> but also, I should say that um, in our, in our, Thinking about ekphrasis, I should, I guess, say what ekphrasis is, just to, you know, place that on the table. What right? is it, Elizabeth? What is it? What is it, Hannah? Um, very simply put, that it's, you know, writing poems about art. Um, and in that, as, as a, 
the most simple sort of understanding of it, this collection of poems or this book-length poem of Information Desk is super interesting to me because it kind of braids together in this way where there are many, many works of art um, that appear in these poems, but I think, too, that it is addressing like the museum itself mm-hmm. as an art object, as mm-hmm. a as a um, artifact, if you would. Um, you know, it... it, it um, I. I'm such a huge fan of Schiff's work and mm-hmm. ha- and um, have been for years. Um, early on in the poem, maybe a moment of um, a feminist moment, and in the scene of the um, uh, of the museum on page twelve at the bottom, mm-hmm. uh, it says a guard unlocks a row of doors, crowds enter, and I am information. Mm-hmm. Not so much behind as within the desk, a property of the fact of the collection and catechism commences. And then I love that list of questions, but what's interesting in the poem is the way that, in fact, the workers at the museum become artwork, right? It's like the whole show, which I think we know about these places, um, but we uh, we don't search fully the way this poem does. Right. Right. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm such a, I'm such a fan of this book, um, uh, in large part because it does, um, because it, it performs that so well. I think Mm -hmm. that like the, the synaptic transitions that are happening throughout the book from art history to personal history to, Mm architecture to capitalism uh, to capitalism <laughs> yeah, to sure. like labor history to yeah. like it really does so many things so well um uh you know it has uh to my way of thinking it has the um the feel of, of of what I think is like the highest compliment when you read a book is that like I wish I wrote this yeah <laughs> like this is so or like, it makes like, me want to write yeah. something like right. the, you know like I don't know. This isn't my book, but like I want sure. it. May it like makes me. It is inspiring. Write. Yeah, it is inspiring in its in its completeness. Yeah. Um, um, I also think going back to what Stephen was saying, um, I'm really interested in like in like um, worker as artifact, and also mm-hmm. interested in how we get a couple other um, not like characters exactly, but like colleagues of hers at the museum throughout this book and none of them are women like she's Mm. sort of the only like female worker as artifact we get in Mm -hmm. this book and I think like that's significant right um also in in talking about the wasps and all and Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know all of this right Um, yeah well right and structurally it is so interesting to me the way that the invocations to the wasps are um the connective thread uh, throughout the book because we have so much kind of um, glory and art and, you know, all of this kind of man-made excellence um, in, the, uh, in the matter of the, of the poem, while at the same time there is always this other thing happening, which is that the bugs are eating it. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> metaphorically or literally, like that there is this uh, undercurrent of like, and we will all be eaten by bugs. Yeah. Um, I think also that is so apparent in like the the form of the book. Like mm-hmm. I th- I think because this book is so interested in like ekphrasis and like looking at at pieces of art 
visually, I think we also have to look at the poem and the book itself visually and like syntactically there is such an undercurrent like that is such like a river of everything you know Mm -hmm. like that's where we get all of this like movement in time and from the personal to the artifact to whatever and but looking at it on the page it's very neat it's in these like six line stanzas the whole way through and the the wasp um invocations um are perfectly syllabic like Mm -hmm. you know so it's very like and right the precision yeah it's so beautiful so I I don't know the answer to this question but when I think of Robin Schiff's work Mm -hmm. I think of a very particular syntactical unit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do do either of you have any like have you put your finger on what it is because like I, I just a second ago opened um, randomly to a page and saw a number of lines. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm talking about line and syntax together. Right. A number of lines that end, ended with of, and I don't even have it open mm-hmm. anymore to that page, but at the same, which, which is an odd choice. I mean, that's, right. that's not a conventional breaking point after of. Right. Um, but then I found myself throughout the book struck by how much the lines fell into really be- beautiful uh, lyric moments and right. mm-hmm. and um, I one I guess what I notice is that we are um, uh, uh, very much under the control of a skilled craftsperson who Absolutely. at times is giving us the odd and at other times is giving us the perfectly crafted world of lyric poetry and right. and and the architecture melts away right yeah right well and the sentences are so grammatically. Uh, intricate, right? I mean, there were moments where I was kind of, you know, in my lovingly, uh, you know, penciled marginalia, was almost wanting to like diagram mm-hmm. some of the sentences, oh, yeah. some of the lines, right? Because like, like the clause upon clause upon clause, like, are are so balanced. It's so satisfying. <laughs> what I did find myself actually diagramming uh-huh. is the weaving of material. Yes. And I think that the machine that the space of the um, of the information desk offers what allowed for okay we've dealt with one investigation back to the information desk right. to pull another image out of which we can ask some questions and come to an arrival like and and it was the machine of it was very well built and methodical I noticed right right and how there's this you know. There's this one exhibit that she refers to, the Rembrandt, not Rembrandt exhibit, um, uh, which was, you know, loosely stated uh, about forgeries and about the idea of like authenticity versus for- versus forgery and how that was established. And um, that we return to that exhibit over and over again and get new material, new information from it each time mm. we loop back around uh, is so, I think, beautifully, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mirroring or following the example or the experience of seeing an exhibit, of like really appreciating the exhibit, mm-hmm. right? How you interact with that material. Well, can I make a request? Of course. Oh. Um, <laughs> Always. <laughs> are there sections that that either of you would share with us? Okay, I have one. 
um, about midway through um, one of my favorite passages. I'm, we're around page 64. Do you believe in God? I believe in the elemental attunement of wasps. During the wet year 1996, as I walked in a blizzard from the desk down the center of Fifth Avenue with a friend who sold tickets at the entrance of ancient Egypt, paper wasp nests assembled for study proved thicker with saliva than nests collected in drier years. A barometer is not more precise. When newly hired, I was sent into the galleries with a checklist to familiarize myself with possessions I might be asked by a visitor to point out on a map or toward which I could steer one on one's way toward something else. The digressions are endless. I can get anywhere from anywhere, but I had trouble locating a barometer. I was finally told was reading the air from a gilded wall beyond a mechanical table built for Marie Antoinette to convert from writing surface to makeup desk with the turn of a crank. Yes. Right? So there's, like, that yeah, is one is. of the examples of, like, claws upon claws upon claws upon claws, right? That right. is so, it just, ensorceling. Like, it just yeah. pulls you in and in, right? Like when you get to, had trouble locating a barometer, like, that feels like a natural stop. Like, like the sentence doesn't stop with um, any sort of... Right. period or anything but it feels that way right. but it's not it's uh, the barometer I was finally told was reading the air and like even right. when you read it you like sort of naturally stopped there but that's not right what she, it, it she'll give you a period when when there is <laughs> one you know like, <laughs> like she'll let you know yeah but it's right. yeah and then now we're talking about the barometer and right then we're talking about Marie Antoinette and like right but also I mean it's interesting that it is it is enacting a thing that she also talks about in the book, which is this idea of wayfaring mm -hmm. that like, you know, in a museum, there's always signs pointing you to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. But linguistically she is wayfaring in this verse and in many places in the book, right? Where she just leads you like one bead by one bead, like into the next thing. And it's so, so satisfying. In that section as well. Um, I don't think this is not the lesser poet. This is the different poet. <laughs> I don't think would have included what their friend did. Oh, right. Right. You know, that, that, that's something that if you're not yeah. writing a poem of this length. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Where you can you put have everything in. Right. It's so, it's so wonderful. Yeah. It's so wonderful. And then also I was, you know, um, folks who aren't looking at, um, at the page, right. uh, the, di the digressions line break, are mm. endless, I can get, line break, anywhere from anywhere, but had, line break, trouble locating a barometer, I, all of that is somewhat choppy. Yeah. And then, by a, a, a half a stanza later, we are just right Moving. in the pocket. Yeah. yeah. And that line built for Marie Antoinette to convert. That's like, I'm just going to read that line over and over and over again. Right. What is it that she's converting from and to? Right. <laughs> in that line, in the space of the line, of course, in the space of the stanza and the poem, it's clear, but in the space of that line, it's really a beautiful moment. Yeah. And it, it just feels 
like it enacts so many things. Like I am really invested in what that desk is going to do in watching how is it mechanical? What is about to happen? Like the action is like, it has suspense. It has <laughs> like stakes somehow, which is super interesting and hard to do talking about an inanimate object, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I have suspense about this desk. And an old dusty <laughs> one at that. <laughs> Anyway, yes, so big, big fan of this book. The American Poetry Review recommends The Slowdown, a podcast with Major Jackson in which Major handpicks a poem every weekday and offers a moment of reflection. We enjoy it. We know you will too. Hannah, do you have another selection for us? Yeah. This is from the the first section where she's talking um, about what you mentioned earlier, the Rembrandt, not Rembrandt um, exhibit. There was a museum guard who would not leave me alone in the Rembrandt, not Rembrandt show. Like everyone, he used his brakes to flip through the large black binder of better jobs, human resources left out on a table for us, and was eventually transferred to the Department of Design to walk the collection with a power drill, tightening the lucite fixtures that held brochures. He was peculiar, and I was afraid of him. When he asked if he could sit beside me in the employee's cafeteria, situated down a private access stairway beneath the small-scale models of a preposterous, oh, a prosperous, not preposterous, of a prosperous and tedious imagined hereafter of a middle kingdom, civil servants served by a labor force of affectless miniature ghosts trapped in menial afterlives on boats, in gardens, slaughterhouses, cattle stables, and a cramped granary divided into two tight rooms separating those hoisting sacks from scribal clerks squatting on the granary floor recording each ounce of grain I could not find my no. Mm. yeah it's yeah it's just like right I mean it takes you on this whole other journey before landing at the crucial utterance right yeah that I could I could not find my no um when she read this section at the reading and and that that like I could not find my no just like I thought really it didn't but it like really echoed you know in the way Mm. that sometimes when people read things out loud it's like whoa reverberating um and I think it uh illuminated something that didn't get illuminated for me just like reading it on the page that like this first section especially I think is really largely about like um questions of consent and um and this this like Rembrandt not Rembrandt show being sort of the vehicle for that discussion and like I think she says at one point later it's like oh yeah Rembrandt, not Rembrandt, was a show about the audacity of no. Right. Just like, I don't know. It was something really clicked for me. Yeah, yeah, no, and well, and it and it really sets the stage uh, at the beginning of the book here about how though she is in you know this this character you know this this person who works at the information desk though she is in this kind of glorious environment you can still be a very vulnerable vulnerable worker. I think also. That that long long list gives you a sense of I was looking for a no I was looking for yeah. a no I was looking for a no there wasn't one to be found there and then um, she goes on in that section to talk about the uh, sort of binary sense we have about yes or no but that that binary is only accessible to um, 
to some folks, mm-hmm. right? That it's not Rembrandt or not Rembrandt for everyone mm-hmm. all of the time, right? A yes is very complicated. A no is very complicated. Um, again, enacting the material that, mm-hmm. that, that she's working through in the poems. So yeah, just I mean, such such a fan of this book. You love it. Highly, highly recommend. I honestly, you know, read it all the way through and and wanted to start all over at the beginning again, and and will do, you know. Um, but also, uh, apropos of reading this book, I think that you know, Hannah and I were talking about other books that concern themselves with ekphrasis and that concern themselves with like museum pieces and stuff. Um, Hannah, you had mentioned Foreign Bodies, yeah. <laughs> right, by Kimiko Han. Mm-hmm. Um, foreign Bodies was one that I was so happy to go back to. Uh, Philadelphia book. That's right, exactly. I was, uh, I had, I had, uh, it had slipped my mind for a moment, but it is an extraordinary collection of uh, poems that are largely concerned with uh, artifacts found at the Mütter Museum here in Philadelphia, which, if you are not familiar with it, is a collection of medical history objects, mostly, and, and physical... Oddities. Oddities, I guess, is, is the, the word I was trying maybe not to I say. Know. But that is, but that <laughs> is what, what they say. I think. That is what they say. Like, that is... I mean, it's a very Victorian kind of, uh, you know, collection that uh, still has... Um, you know, a lot of real fascination to be found there and that this particular um, uh, doctor, this uh, series of objects that Kimiko Han wrote about, uh, Dr. Chevalier Jackson, uh, who retrieved objects from, like, the the bodies of people, like, mostly, like, things that that children had swallowed. Yeah. I, this have you seen this at the at the Motor Museum? I it's did, like but years in, ago. In these drawers, and you Tell can like pull it. them out and see all like it's like labeled like buttons, and then you pull it out, and these oh, are right. all buttons that someone has ingested, right? Or like jacks, or like yeah. whatever, um, or like little toy soldiers, little toy and horses, stuff. Yeah. and it's really it's my favorite part of that museum. Um, well, it's yeah, that museum is kind of. <laughs> You walk in and there are just like skulls on the wall. But this part is, I think, easy to overlook if you're just like right. a visitor because it just looks like filing cabinets. Right. But I think it's so interesting. It is. I mean, that's the thing is that like the museum itself is kind of macabre, but like there are, I feel like there's so much tenderness in it too and that and that Kimiko Han does so much justice to in the idea that um, someone someone like valued these the experiences that are represented by these strange objects right valued them enough to create this collection and yeah. label them and like tell stories about them yeah. <laughs> right i also think um, there's sort of this like impulse when you go and you're like why how could anyone do that like how right. could anyone swallow that i think like right off the bat in this book she like is like I totally could see how you would love something enough to <laughs> want it inside you. You know, like I, there's like a tenderness in that sort of compassion yes. as well. Yes. Um, I was also thinking about, I have like misplaced my copy of it, but uh, no, um, a different book oh, yes. <laughs> that I've thought of while reading Robin Schiff's new What's book, that? which is um, Voyage of the Stable Venus, like, oh, which nice. I really think is like 
mm-hmm. uh, that this book is really in conversation with that book. Right. Um, yeah, which is another Robin, Robin Costello's yes. <laughs> debut. Yes. Um, which um, the sort of central poem in that book talks a lot about um, like the black female body or form in different um, works of art yeah. over time. Um, and I think it has a similar like scale where it's like both a personal history and like a larger conversation about race and um, and art and things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I do. I find that um, Ekphrasis is really fertile. Like I just, I, I find that I really enjoy a lot of these poems that are, uh, that are, sort of meditating upon other works of art. And as as it so happens sometimes, when you start thinking about a thing, then you see it everywhere, right? Because when we were talking about these books and then the September-October issue, uh, we finished that. And then I went back and looked at it and I was like, oh, there is ekphrasis in this issue as well. I wasn't actually putting those two, two things together intentionally from the get-go, but we have our Stanley Kunitz Memorial Prize winner in this issue, uh, Charisma Price. Uh, her excellent poem, The Art of London Firearms, is in this issue. Um, oddly also taking place at the Met. Met. Wow. I guess these these things just it's like it's a big museum. They just came, they just came together. Um but also Paisley Rechdahl's uh, poems in this issue, the uh, the long one at the very beginning of the issue is called Memento. And though I don't know that um Paisley herself would call that ekphrasis because it is concerning uh, a sort of, you know, it was con- it's concerning like problematic artifacts uh, of like an Aunt Jemima figure uh, and things like that. Um, I-, I think that one could make an argument that that is ekphrastic, right? That it is concerning itself with like a cultural artifact that is the, the nucleus around which everything else um, develops, right? Um, and Dorothy Alasky, her new book is called *The Shining*, and it's a whole collection of poems based on images and scenes from the movie *The Shining*. Right? I'm just saying. Ekphrasis is all around it's us. It's everywhere. And now, the winner of the 2023 Stanley Kunitz Memorial Prize, Charisma Price. This is Charisma Price reading *The Art of London Firearms*. For the sake of living longer, we should not eat this. The bottomless pan of mac and cheese stringing itself from itself to the porcelain plate as the television drones and the men with glasses like mine, the frames that make us look smarter than what we are. Talk about Florida, its shores, its hurricanes, prisons and poisons before all that killing, killing, killing for the sake of killing. My mother says as we split the tender meat falling from the bone of the bird buried in barbecue. To sleep peacefully, I've made a habit of watching videos of greyhounds hunting plastic eggs for the treats inside. Always another animal wants to feed on our insides, to lick the walls of our throats. The buffalo, with its head bowed, ready to blunt the horse-carrying empire. The steel spread around the grip of sculpted walnut encased in glass. At the Met, We view this art, the art of London firearms, the beauty of European gun making packaged and brilliant because it is a violence not meant for us to succumb to. 
at our American table, eating cheese, imported from Rome, cured pieces of pancetta, imported from Rome, and wine from the fridge. I remember reading that if it was possible to domesticate the zebras, it would be over for them. All the force we claim as talent would be used to keep the imported zebra-horse hybrids hostage and galloping on the grasslands of Gainesville or near the swamps of the Everglades. All their mothers bring from lack back home in Africa. But what do you know about being tamed? Each of us now in our petless zebra world are wondering when the next body will fall and how long it will take the men whose tongues rise and bow like the heads of buffalo to blame the violence not meant for them on something that is not the barrel, not the bullet, walnut, rosewood, platinum, or plastic carving death in our insides. No, we want the smoke, just like the gazelle and the little man on his yellow chariot eyeing her body for burial. We are so barbaric, we are human. Every day pretending we don't know surviving requires us to hurt someone. Thank you so much for listening today. Please check us out online at aprweb.org or follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and threads. <laughs>